The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Geeks, and welcome to another edition of Wizards Half. This is mini-episode 44.5. These are the episodes where we go into the nitty-gritty details of the magazine that we didn't have time for on the main episode. There's plenty to talk about this time around, so let's get started with Cap's Kooky Contests. The first contest says... Be the mask. Turn the page and it tells us it's party time. Whatever you want to do, you could do it. Pants a cop? Punch a monkey? Hey, whatever floats your boat. That's the power of the mask, and your pals at Dark Horse and Wizard have teamed up to give that power to you. Here's the deal. The grand prize? One winner takes the cake with the mother of all prizes, the starring role in an honest-to-goodness comic book. You heard that right, buddy. You win this baby, and Dark Horse makes you the star of an upcoming issue of the latest series of The Mask. Your name, your mug, your kisser, your hometown, everything. You become the mask. Here's the skinny. On a drawing board, unlined piece of paper, no larger than 8 by 11 and a quarter, show us what you would look like if you slapped on the infamous green mask and what you would do with the powers that came with it. Can't draw to save your life? Then write us a short piece, no more than 150 words, typed or neatly handwritten, on why you would make an exceptional mask and what would be the first thing you would do with those powers. Whatever you do, show us that you have the potential to be a fantastic, memorable mask. And be original, you hear? All right. A while back, I tried to research and track down the issue where this happened. I haven't had any success yet, so if you guys know which particular series that took place either in late 95 or early 96 incorporated this contest winner, be sure to tell us on social media because it sounds really cool. Now let's get to the fine print. Offer void were prohibited, regulated, or restricted by law in a manner inconsistent with the purpose and rules hereof. How great was it in the mask movie when the little dog grabbed the cheese instead of the keys? That was a riot! Alright, on to the next contest. Ooh, take this lady home. It's Lady Death they're referred to here. They say, hey, how'd you like to take Lady Death home with you? Yeah? Well, your buddies at Chaos Comics and Wizard Press have teamed up to give you the chance to win the little lady herself, along with some other pretty keen stuff. Here's the full scoop. Grand prize? One lucky dog will reap a one-of-a-kind Lady Death statue sculpted by Claiborne Moore. Yep, you heard us right. One-of-a-kind. You see, this here statue is the master prototype from which all other Lady Death statues are made. On top of that, this bad girl is painted by Moore's Creations color designer, Paul Moore. And hey, did we mention the diamond inlay and signed certificate of authenticity? Now you're drooling. Second prize, 10 fans win an 18 and a half by 29 Lady Death Chromium poster featuring the artwork shown on page 58 signed by Stephen Hughes. And all you gotta do to get a chance at winning is fill out the official Lady Death coupon over there on page 58. And that's all. But now on to the fine print. Offer void were prohibited, regulated, or restricted by law in a manner inconsistent with the purposes and rules hereof. Unless there's no gravity in hell, Lady Death is in for some problems in a couple of years. <laughs> wow, okay, well, I mean, uh, she's still looking pretty good these days, so I guess you were wrong about that, wizard. 
All right, the next contest here says Wall Crawling. Your pals over to Claim Entertainment and Wizard have joined forces to bring you some pretty cool prizes to celebrate the release of the new Spider-Man video game. Check out the goods. Grand prize, a Sega Genesis system, one of the funkiest game systems around, a Claim's new Spider-Man game, and an assortment of Marvel game titles including Wolverine, Maximum Carnage, and X-Men. Second prize, the all-new web-slinging Wall Crawling Spider-Man game for either a Sega Genesis or or a Super NES. So, who do you have to clone to win that nifty stuff? Nobody. All you gotta do is identify these five villains who are trying their bestest to bump off our friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Once you've figured out who they all are, complete the coupon below and mail that sucker off to Wall Crawling Contest. Alright, so let's see what we can do here. Uh, the first one looks like the lizard, because I see a tail uh, in the shadow. They have them kind of whited out, like white shadows. Now, number two looks like Venom, just based on the claws. He's burst and through some type of wall and then the shocker just based on the energy beam that's shooting out of his hands in the position. Number four looks like the scorpion and number five is definitely Mysterio. You can see the outline of the fishbowl. So hey looks like I would have been in the running. All right let's check out the fine print here. No purchase necessary. Contest is open to anyone except employees of Wizard Press, Acclaim Entertainment, their immediate families, and that Nicholas Hammond Joe. He couldn't act for beans as the 70s Spidey TV character. Now come on. Nicholas Hammond was a fine Spider-Man wizard. Ah, for so many of us, he was our only live-action Spider-Man. You know that we got to see as Peter Parker, unless you count the Electric Company Spider-Man. Oh, special place in my heart for Nicholas Hammond. Still, fingers crossed that there's some sort of homage in Spider-Man no way home. Alright, here we go. Next one. Offer void were prohibited, regulated, or restricted by law in a manner inconsistent with the purpose and rules hereof. Spins a web any size. Catches thieves just like flies. Look out, there goes the Spider-Man. That, that's not a joke, guys. That's, that's just the lyrics to the song. Alright, well, on to the next one. Alright, another Marvel-themed contest here. This one's called Doomsday. Doom fans rejoice for this Doomsday. Yep, after about 743 botched attempts at world domination, Vic has finally conquered America. In the year 2099, of course. To commemorate this auspicious event, the good doctor, with some prodding from your pals at Marvel and Wizard, has agreed to give away something extra spiffy to the surf with the most vision. What is it exactly? Well, the grand prize? One winner wins a page of framed Doomsday 2099 original art signed by series artist Pat Broderick. A prize of glory, to be sure. Here's how you win. Take a national monument in the United States, like the Statue of Liberty, and show us on a drawing board or online sheet of paper no larger than 8 by 11 and a quarter how Doom would alter it after he becomes the big kahuna of America. Please note that your art can be in any medium, oils, lion art, bloody finger, etc. But neon inks just will not print, period. And also note that we'll be searching through all the entries for truly original ideas, not just Michelangelo-type pieces of fine art. No, not the turtle, the Sistine Chapel painter. When you're set, fill out the coupon below, attach it to the back of your entry, and mail it off to Doomsday Contest. So, uh, for those of you who've been listening to the show for a while, you know, we had the 2099 hotline. We have not revisited the 2099 hotline in a while, but I still have this era of Doom 2099 in a short box, ready to be read, so hopefully we get to it soon. But now, let's get to the fine 
print. Contest is open to anyone except employees of Wizard Press, Marvel Comics, their immediate families, and that Kristoff knucklehead. Boy, is he gonna get it when Vic comes back. I assume he was causing some problems in Latveria. I haven't gotten that far in the series yet. Alright, uh, next one here. Offer void were prohibited, regulated, or restricted by law in a manner inconsistent with the purpose and rules hereof. You know, if Doom ever got the trots, he'd be in major trouble. There's no way you're taking that armor off in under 20 minutes. <laughs> Very good point, Wizard. Yeah. Alright, let's move on to the next one here. We're sticking with Marvel. This is another one of the Marvel sponsored contests. It says, here's a contest you weren't expecting, even though Spidey and Mary Jane are. That's right, Spider-Man and Mary Jane are having a baby. Will it be a boy or a girl? Will he or she have powers like his or her father? What should he or she be named? That's up to you. You can win a free page of original art drawn by fan fave Mark Bagley for creating a birth announcement with the following information. Baby's name, boy or girl, height, weight, special powers, or appearance. And then write your name, address, phone number, and age on a 3x5 index card and include it with your Spider Baby birth announcement and mail your entry by May 15th to Spider-Man Baby Announcement Contest. Sorry, this contest and winning entry will not affect the plot line of the Spider-Man books themselves. Well, there you go. See, that was my question. Are you going to get credit? Did somebody come up with Mayday Parker? You know, I guess not. All right, let's move on to the last one here. This one kind of snuck up on me. Yeah, we've got Dark Moon posted a few of their ads to social media as like, uh-huh? Anybody even heard of these comics? But it says here, to help kick off the launch of Dark Moon Productions, your pals at Dark Moon and Wizard have teamed up for a happening contest where you can win some pretty keen original comic art. What art exactly? Glad you asked. Grand prize? An original piece of framed Dark Moon art, spotlighting the coolest Dark Moon superheroes. So how do you win already? Easy! All you gotta do is break the code and decipher the five coded phrases below, each of which hides the name of one of Dark Moon's titles. Aha. Yep, so you got a bunch of jumbled letters mixed together, and you're supposed to figure out who their characters are. Uh, and when you're done with that, fill out the coupon below and mail it that bad boy off to Dark Moon Contest. So, I believe one of them is called the Thespian, if I remember correctly. And the other one, there's actually an ad for it in this issue. What is it? Let me flip the page here, see if I find it. <laughs> I literally just saw it as I was opening the magazine to do this. Ah, Divine Madness. There you go. I'm guessing the participation of that contest was fairly low. Alright, but let's check out the fine print here. And it says, Contest is open to anyone except employees of Wizard Press, Dark Moon Productions, their immediate families, and anybody who never mooned anybody. Come on. It's natural and beautiful. <laughs> I gotta imagine there was a lot of mooning going on in the wizard offices. It just seems par for the course. Alright, next one here. Offer void where prohibited, regulated, or restricted by law in a manner inconsistent with the purpose and rules hereof. 50 you too? Huh? <laughs> I don't know what that means. Oh well. So there you go. That is it for Cap's Kooky Contests. And now let's move into some more fun. <laughs> Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, you didn't know what to expect with that rockin' theme song, did ya? Well, that was Paul Stanley of Kiss with a demo for a song called Sword and Stone, which fits perfectly into our topic for this edition of Robin's Reading Rainbow. You know, I've actually been teasing this for a while, and it's time for me to put up or shut up. I have read the first three issues of War Child from Maximum Press. Hmm, War Child. Does that ring a bell to you? It just might. Now, back in issue 23 of Wizard, Rob Liefeld... Oop, gotta put a dollar in the jar. Well, he previewed a comic book concept. It said... For the first time anywhere, the newest creation from the fertile imagination of <laughs> Extreme Studios presents Sword and Stone. The thing is, though, this new Sword and Stone book is actually from Maximum Press. Why? Well, you know that little troublemaker? He decided he was going to create a brand new imprint where he could create a whole different universe of characters not connected to Image. And so this idea, this concept that was first debuted in the July 1993 issue of Wizard, now coming out in January of 1995, at least according to the cover date. But let's go back to the beginning here real quick, because this is what the story told us. And so it came to pass that a young squire boy from the past and a dread cybernaut from the future would unite at time's end under the tutelage of the one known as Vizier to combat the darkest evil known to man. Together, they would journey to the year 1995 to the city of Los Angeles, where the Dark Lord's minions would await them. Valiantly, they waged battle upon those who would stop them in their pursuit. The squire boy, known as Sword, would fight with the courage of a knight, while the cybernaut Stone would use all the technical marvels at his disposal to defeat the Lord of Darkness and those that would serve him. More Sword and Stone next issue! Guess what? It didn't happen. That's right. <laughs> it did take a year and a half until this concept was actually fleshed out and arrived in the form of a comic book. Now, Sorted Stone looked basically the same, but there were quite a few tweaks to their costumes between this set of preview pages and the final issue that arrived in stores. I'll put those up on social media so you can get a look of kind of that evolution. Either way, they definitely have that classic touch that you would expect to come out of Extreme Studios and now Maximum Press. As far as the credits for this book, though, this is very strange because it says an Extreme Studios production, but it's for Maximum Press. Uh, the creator and writer is listed as Rob Liefeld. Ah, gotta put another dollar in the jar. Pencils and Story by Chap Yap and Script by Eric Stevenson, with inks by Jonathan Sabal and Danny Mickey, colors by Nathan Lum. Now, the Pencils and Story by Chap Yap, this seems like it's basically him putting this all together. The big boss just passed it off and said, here's the concept, run with it, and then the script giving us all the dialogue is Eric Stevenson. And first off, uh, we get these two characters. One is an old dude in a red robe with a big beard, big bushy eyebrows, and he is facing off against a guy in a black robe with chains and these spikes that are coming out of his head. And basically, they're battling back and forth. The bad guy says, I have sat with the Ancient Ones, old master. They have taught me all that you could not. The other guy says, no, they have led you astray, turned you from my teachings, your brother, my brother, 
My brother is a fool, and I have dealt with him as I shall now deal with you. So, of course, they battle. They're shooting these, you know, blasts of energy at each other. They're creating different shields of energy and things like that. Then, all of a sudden, it flashes to Los Angeles, California, 1995. And so, this is where we get our first look at Sword, Stowed, and Merlin. Now, Merlin is a female. Yes, a female named Merlin. Huh? M-E-R-L-Y-N. And, uh, Sword is a guy who is just so huge, so thick and, you know, stubby, and I don't know what to say. Like, the body is just so massive, the chest. But if you could believe it, Stone is even bigger! But they both have the classic Shatterstar-style headgear, and they're gritting their teeth, and they got the open mouth, or, you know, that's kind of the back-and-forth look that they go with. And so, yeah, they're in the year 1995, but it appears to be some sort of future, because Stone, it's revealed, has the ability, basically, to modify his body. He's like all cybernetic and so even when he like gets damaged or something, he can kind of repair himself in a different way. There's flashbacks to Sword. Okay, that is this kid's name in the medieval times, it appears. And he is there. There's this girl named Gwendolyn, who he is in love with. But then like, you know, the kids in the town pick on him. You don't know why they're treating him like he is less than. And then it jumps ahead to where they're teenagers and Sword says, Gwen, listen to me. This is all all wrong. Your father was the only reason I was ever allowed to stay here, but now that he's dead, no, I'll never leave you. We'll convince my mother. Your mother is against me, Gwendolyn. She's blamed me for your father's murder. We can fight her. You know that's not true. She's too powerful. She's... And so this arrow comes off this mountain and kills Gwendolyn. All right, then it flashes forward again to the modern times where Sword is. So we don't 100% understand the setup, right? We, you know, got from the preview pages that there's this Cybernaut, as he's called, from the future. And then you got this Squire from the past and they're teamed up for some reason. We don't quite understand why Merlin is there either. She talks about being in a young teenager's body and then she starts to grow. Says, hey, you're getting older. How did you do that? A tale for another time, my lad. You know, so they're not going to explain that quite yet. The other thing is I'll mention about Stone is that every word he says has like a period between that and the next word. So I guess it's supposed to be like he's kind of got a staccato speaking pattern. Definitely has the uh, word balloon to make it look like he is, you know, an automaton of some sort, you know, versus everybody else's is round. His is more square with rounded edges. So there's, you know, big splash pages, of course, where they, you know, ride on top of stone. Yes, Merlin and Sword can both fit on stone's back because he is gigantic. He is so huge. And this story itself is pretty straightforward, which I really appreciate having read other books from Extreme Studios, where they they throw you in the middle, but like, they really don't tell you almost anything. They're just like, oh yeah, there's a whole history here. Obviously, there's a history here, but they're taking their time to really break it down and say, okay, here's a little bit. All right, now here's some action. Now here's a flashback. Okay, and the thing you see is that when Sword is holding Gwendolyn in her dying breath, she then meets, like, death basically another robed figure a lot of cloaked robed figures here and he says alas my dear all i crave are the souls of the living but perhaps we may yet strike upon a bargain oh yes yes anything i will grant you your life and you will give me half a dozen souls every changing of the moon in exchange for life you will become a weapon of death forevermore
floor. So as she dies, her soul goes into the stone that is on the blade of Sword's sword. Okay, so he doesn't know that his great love is inside his sword. Alright? So that is like the first thing you learn in the first issue. That and this. They give us a little bit of a heads up. In the past few months, you may have seen some advertisements for our new company. We're Maximum Press and we're pleased to make your acquaintance. We know that there are literally hundreds of choices out there and we're glad you've given us a try. We're looking to do things a little different here at Maximum Press. There will be no shared universes, no interconnecting crossovers, no and no lies, no way. Nope, we just want to do fun comics. War Child was a fun comic for us. We hope it is fun for you too. Hurry back here for our next issue and we'll tell you more about the behind the scenes efforts that go into War Child. P.S. Check out Wizard Number 23 for a three page story featuring War Child's sword and stone. You'll be glad you did. Yes, because it helps explain the premise of the series that they don't do here. But so as you're reading the second issue now, uh, what's interesting is they actually say that Chap Yap got sick and so he got the flu and so a guy named John Stinsman had to show up and finish the issue. But now we're getting a little bit more understanding of who this robed black knight as he calls himself is but also he is there with of course, if you're going to have a, a medieval sorcerer, you got to have the ultimate medieval sorceress yes, Morgan Le Fay although she's been called Morgana. Silence Morgana. I must reflect on what I have heard. Reflect then, my dear Blackheart, but remember, you have only to give the word and those witless fools will be gone. So, we see here that there is a battle that was going on because Blackheart sent some minions at the end of the first issue to confront Sword and Stone. So, of course, you get your classic action that you would come to expect. They're basically like a red devil creature and like a furry bear gorilla with a tail. And so, there's a lot of battling going on. Now, what's cool about it, I actually thought this was a nice little touch is that Stone says to Merlin, you know, the little girl Merlin, that you're in my way because I've tried to protect you and I can't give the battle my full attention. So he rips off his arm and puts it next to her. The wires grow around her and create an armor. But the other thing is like her body is super short. Like the angle is pretty terrible. She looks like troll, (laughs) like just in her proportions and another Extreme Studios character. I will say there is an awesome piece of action here where you see sword doing a flip and as he's flipping with his sword out it cuts the red demon's head in half and then there's two of them so he created a problem for himself they kind of multiplied so as they're continuing the battle all of a sudden you see that now stone is having a flashback and you're understanding a little bit of his history that basically that he was a rebel fighting the black knight as he was overtaking the world and he gave up because the Black Knight said, I'll spare your family. But of course, when he gets back to his apartment, his family is dead. He finds a doll that belonged to his daughter all spattered with blood. And that's where he kind of lost his mind. And he was going to kill himself. But then all of the sudden it says, it wasn't until my hand was clasped around the instrument of my destruction, though, that I heard the voice assuring me that a greater purpose lay ahead of me. The wise one, the vizier, pulled me up from the deepening pit delivering me to my true destiny, a destiny yet to be fulfilled. So I guess what you're finding out here is that the Vizier connected Sword and Stone, but again, we have not yet gotten that story where we know what happened. How did they actually meet each other? Why are they on this here? But we do get some, again, very poorly rendered limbs. There's like some 
arms and things and hands that are just way too wide and then they they're not long enough to have the right bends for the elbows and things so uh you know classic touch of any extreme studios or maximum press book now there is this point at which sword picks up his sword and he's trying to figure out if the sword will protect him he says funny it's almost as though i can feel gwendolyn with me now and so you see this like pink energy and then a woman's face and then he says whoa and so this big blast of energy flies out she says i'm free again i'm free and freedom tastes glorious fear not my beloved sword i'm here for you to protect you and i'll never leave you again so basically the energy destroys the red demons he was fighting that's just an interesting thing it's like she's there she's protecting but he'll never know about it until there's some revelation i'm sure okay so they defeat the other like monkey beast bear thing and then the arm that stone gave to merlin who has now grown even into more of an adult woman okay and so she asks stone how's the arm just fine merlin one of the benefits of becoming one of the new west cyber warriors my body repairs itself very quickly bet you've never seen anything like that huh kid so yeah basically his arm is growing a little by little and it's repairing itself cybernetically but at the very last page we have morgana showing up who is in line for their farewell kiss. There you have it. You're gonna get a showdown with Morgana. So far, although there are like, you know, little plot holes that need to be filled in just over time, you know, it's just like, yeah, we're building the mystery, things like that. Again, the characters are very easy to understand. They're likable enough. Sword speaks like he's from medieval times. And then you have Stone, who is speaking like he is a robot of the modern day. And then you have Merlin, who is also of the ancient times. But again, we don't really know her her origin exactly yet but anyway so i but i find myself saying you know what i am understanding the story i'm with the story and as just a general adventure tale it really does function the way it should uh now let's see with chap yet back in all his glory for issue three we see that our heroes now have uh been knocked off the side of a building and stone is hanging on and holding on to everybody else so it's kind of this chain and while they're hanging sword suddenly has another flashback where he just starts crying and so what you see is that there is this woman who is dying she's kind of in a pool of blood being held up by an old guy with a gray beard and long hair and his red cloak so this was this great one this vizier we saw in the first issue and so she basically she says no great one you misunderstand my request i know i am beyond your help it is my child you must save promise me wizard promise me that you'll see that he never that he never comes to harm i promise my lady so anyway the woman's dead you see a cross erected where he buried her and now the vizier is walking across this nighttime wasteland he says but what good is the word of an aged sorcerer who knows not the first thing about rearing a child so that he comes upon this battle where you see he sees the king of the land being attacked by a band of brigands i don't know what they're doing there neither does he really but he says that but though I owe no allegiance to any king, perhaps by helping him, I can help myself. So basically, he blasts all the bad guys with energy, at least who we assume are bad guys. These, this green energy crackles and they die. And so then he passes off the baby to the king. He says, your life was spared today by my hand. And yes, I do have something to ask of you. So the king agrees and takes the baby. So now you know, okay, Sword was raised by a king, but he was not an 
in any type of royalty. That's why he was being picked on by the other kids earlier. But anyway, he wakes up from his dream and then he's hanging on to Merlin and he's got this close-up of a tear falling from his eye. He knows everything is going to be all right, he says. So anyway, uh, Morgana is there still attacking them with this bird creature. It's basically like, you know, a bird man who's got everything a man would have except for arms their wings instead so he cuts off stone's arm that they were all hanging on with and then as he falls down he suddenly creates some sort of rocket pack uh, that saves them and they blast out so wouldn't you know it sword has another flashback or a dream or something where gwendolyn shows up she's saying my father the king is dead he's like what it's worse than that sword it was by my mother's hand she's fallen under the spell of the black knight and they plan the whole thing together sword they've made it seem as though you were the murderer we have to run so you understand this is why sword was was on the run so like all the little flashback pieces are starting to come together and finally there is this dude that shows up don't know who he is says rise son of weakness rise and know your doom and so again big sword fight here but wouldn't you know it in his hour of need, Gwendolyn flies out from the sword in her naked pink energy form. She says, I am here for you, sword. As is my bond with death, I claim thy troubled soul. I wish you could see me, my love. As was the deal with death. Every full moon, she has to have killed six people. So she has killed this person that was attacking her love. And now the Black Knight shows up again. Here he is. And so now sword says, devil, haven't you done enough to me already? Haven't you taken enough defiled everything I hold dear? It is you who shall never be safe again. Not so long as my body holds a breath. There is a blast of energy as sword tries to strike the Black Knight, but he ends up just grabbing the blade and he's holding it. I know your thoughts, young sword. Your puny mind is a whirlpool of confusion. Everything you thought you knew wrong. Everyone you believed you could trust gone. And now your greatest asset of all this, this little toy to which you had ascribed so much power has abandoned you as well. Fear not, though, my poor weak lad. The darkness will be your guide. So yeah, war child. Here we are, 22 minutes into this review. Would I have picked up issue four had I read these back in the day? I don't think so, because as is the case with so much of the output of the original Image founders and their protégés, it's just so serious. I mean, that there's no sense of humor that carries through. And so, I mean, for those who like the epic tales of sword and sorcery, I can see the appeal. And the one thing I can just say, wow, you finally did it is a story that I can follow and understand and don't feel like some panels were left out or some pages were missing. Like everything they set up, they have paid off so far. They have given us the beats of the story, the backgrounds of the characters, everyone but Merlin at this point. I don't know what her deal is and why she's hanging around with Sword and Stone. I don't know how they got together, but maybe that's to come in issue four. But I feel confident in the characters and who they are at this point, even if I wish they had a little bit more personality to them. And I, I don't care for the character designs either just the sheer size of these bodies is just ridiculous to look at and i know that's what it is extreme art of the 90s right but at a certain point it just looks terrible and so you know if they could have just slimmed them down a little bit but overall war child not terrible i don't hate it and so that's about the best praise i could give to uh the work of rob liefeld (laughs) 
Oh, there it is again. Well, that does it for this edition of Robin's Reading Rainbow. Although I will tease you, next time around, I have a, a returning friend. We're going to continue our Bad Girl Review series. Yes, last time around, I was talking to Chris Bailey, aka Charlton Hero, all about Billy Tucci. She, well, now we're going to get into Lady Death by Brian Polito and Stephen Hughes. So look for that on mini episode 45.5. But now let's check out what's coming up in the rest of the episode. Hey there, geeks! We're just taking a break from the show to tell you about our sponsor this holiday season, Fun.com. And stay tuned, because you're going to learn how you can get 20% off at Fun.com. But why Fun.com? Well, they have everything you need for the pop culture lover in your life, but of course, they have a wide selection of superhero and comic book-based gifts as well. Let me just tell you some of the stuff that I was looking up and was super impressed by. First of all, have you ever wanted to have a fully decked out Batman 1989 bedroom? Well, right now, you can get a three-piece comforter set and a rug to go on the ground. Man, living in your own little bat cave every morning. How about uh, something for your furry pal? A venom squeaker toy for dog. Let Eddie Brock get slobbered on for once. Looking to get a little bit more high class? How about the DC Comics Star Labs desktop stationery set? Yep, you could write some official memos direct from Star Labs. If you've got a Wonder Woman in your life, why not hook her up with a single brew coffee maker branded with the Wonder Woman symbol and a seven quart Wonder Woman slow cooker. You add a little bit extra fun to the kitchen with a Batman logo two slice toaster. It'll toast the bat signal right onto your toast. But hey, if you want to get some Marvel in your morning, how about a seven inch Black Panther waffle maker? Yep, get that Black Panther logo right on your waffle for that crunchy delight. Now I'll tell you what I think I'm going to invest in myself is a set of Power Rangers geeky tiki cups. They look like they're carved out of wood and colored in the style of each ranger. But of course, they've got Funko Pop figures, all sorts of t-shirts, and of course, those exclusive Christmas sweaters with logos of your favorite comic book heroes and villains. How do you get in on the action? Well, all you gotta do is click on the link in our show notes, and it'll take you direct to the website where it'll pop up and tell you your 20% discount is now activated, and you will get 20% off your order from fun.com. The best part is, if you have a little extra cash hanging around after the holidays, you want to get a little something for yourself? Well, this offer is good through January 7th, 2022. So, be sure to do your shopping this holiday season at fun.com. And now, back to the show. Right now, you know, we haven't talked about the top 10 comics list in quite a while. That's mainly because it stayed the same for a very long time. And in fact, I've been posting them to social media. A lot of you have been saying, hey, I still have like most of those books. But this time around, they did something very special. With Gen 13 being on the cover, they decided to actually get J. Scott Campbell to participate and give commentary in the top 10 list. So I'm going to go through all of these. Let's find out what J. Scott Campbell thought about the competition. 
competition, as well as his own work, as Gen 13 number one is still in the number one spot. So here's what they say. That's it. Nothing against Gen 13, which happens to be a pretty good comic, both art-wise and story-wise, but I'm honestly damn sick and tired of writing about it month after month after month after month. <laughs> You get the idea. So this month, I'll be sharing Top 10 Land with Gen 13's own Jeff Scott Campbell. Jeff, what do you think about Gen 13 being on our charts for over a year? I am incredibly shocked that it's been there that long, but I'm certainly pleased. It's funny, because with the success of the miniseries, it's kind of nerve-wracking for us to try to follow that up. We got this new series coming out, and it's like, man, the miniseries is still going strong after a year. Anyone you'd like to thank? Uh, the people that are buying it up and making it that much of a collectible item. There you have it, folks. Consider yourselves. Thanks. All right. Number two on the chart is She Number One by Billy Tucci, past guest on The Wizard Files. And it says, She seems to have been on the charts for like a gazillion months as well, although our four-faced friend has never reached that much wanted numero uno spot. I can just picture Billy Tucci. That's the guy who does all that really neat stuff with the book, like writing and drawing it. Waiting each month with his fingers crossed, praying that this will be the month she makes it all the way to the top. Don't fret, Bill. It might happen. Uh, spoiler it never does. So, what does our pal Mr. Campbell think about she? You know what? I'm having a tough time getting my hands on that. Maybe I'll have to wait for that trade paperback to come out. I'm certainly interested in it. I've heard a lot about the character. Alright, number three is Lady Death number one by Brian Polito and artist Stephen Hughes. Well, our former number one drops two spots this month as the Queen of the Dead falls to the wayside of the mighty Gen 13. Hey, I bet if writer Brian Polito threw in a bunch of teenagers with cool powers, Lady Death would probably pop right back up to the top, and she should smile a little bit more, too. I mean, just look at that sourpuss of hers. Meanwhile, Jeff has read an issue or two and thinks it's pretty cool. He also points out a pretty interesting little tidbit. It's kind of funny that the females have the run of the top 10 list on a regular basis since Gen 13's mainly made up of female characters, and then of course she and Lady Death. It seems like they kind of moved into that territory for good. Wow, a conspiracy. Number four is Gen 13, number two. Yeah, here's another surprise, so what can Jeff tell us about this issue? Uh, I can officially tell you, I don't know if you guys are aware of this, Gen 13 number 2 actually did have the lowest print run out of all the issues in the series. So, rarity, great art, great story, a new regular series, and the recent release of a trade paperback have all helped keep Gen 13 hotter and demi more in disclosure. And just what does Jeff think about the paperback's release? It's funny, because looking at that trade paperback, it's kind of retro for me, since that was the first book I ever did. Looking back at it now, I see my style progress with each issue, so it's kind of fun to watch. Number five is Vengeance of Vampirella, number one. Yowza! Where the heck did Vampy come from? Hey, that was a rhetorical question, you ninnies. Yeah, she's been all over the charts in the past few months, but she wasn't even in the top ten last month, and now she's all the way up to the number five spot. Talk about your babes. Reason for her hotness? Just take a look at her, Poindexter. Well, maybe this isn't the best picture of her. I mean, it doesn't really do her justice, what with all that blood she's bathing in. And besides, having the most gorgeous body around for someone with the hugest set of fangs, as well as the fact that she likes to wear red dental floss, Vampy and Shadowhawk's recent crossover has kept fans drooling for more. So apparently, J. Scott Campbell had no comment on Vampirella. <laughs> number six, X-Men Alpha number one. The only real surprise with this X-Book becoming a hit is not the true mutant power of any book with an X in its name, is that it's pretty darn good. This issue starts the Age of Apocalypse, wherein everything 
we've known about the X-Men is wrong, thanks to that Legion freak. And hey, it's even impressed that Campbell fella. I was very interested in this whole X-Men recreating history thing, and so far, from what I've read of the first few issues, it is pretty interesting. I had a very negative slant going in, and they're pulling it off in a very cohesive and coherent way. I've been pretty impressed. Actually, I've been kind of almost jealous of how well they're doing it. More crossovers should be like this. Number seven is Generation X number one. Ooh, direct competition. So here's what Wizard asks. What do you think of the other Jed book, Jeff? Uh, going into it, I should have had one of the biggest biased attitudes. Everyone's always compared us since we're both youth-oriented supergroups, but I enjoy it in a way because they're doing something totally different than what we're doing. It's probably my favorite Marvel title. But what about a crossover between the two? You never know. Those things are hard to get approved and green-lighted, especially when it's crossing different companies, but I would certainly be open to it. I like the characters a lot. I like the writing and the art's fantastic. Yeah, like Skid would be able to keep his epidermis off a of Fairchild. And of course, for those of you who are fans of Generation X or Gen 13, you know they actually crossed over twice. Yeah, two different meetups, so that did happen eventually. Number eight, hey, look who it is, Gen 13, number three. Jeez, what more can we say about Gen 13? Those kids are just the cream of the crop around here. And if you want to learn more about them, such as what they'll be up to in the future, check out the feature story on page 28. Any final words before you take off, Jeff? Actually, Gen 13 number 3 was my favorite issue. I felt like I made a big jump in that issue, and the story was really fun. As far as my professional work in comics, I kind of felt like I made a big change or jump in my ability, and hopefully my artwork in that particular issue. I have good memories of that issue. And then uh, at the number 9 and 10 spots, we have Lady Death number 2, and we have She number 2. So yeah, bad girl mania all across the board. Just thought that was super cool, though, that they got commentary from J. Scott Campbell in the meantime, since he was the king. And so now, let's get into a little something extra here. Another top 10. The top 10 heroes and villains. There have been some changes around here. Kind of interesting because in the number one spot, we have Spawn. And in the number two spot, we have Spider-Man. Okay, so that's not much of a change. But in the number three spot, we have Wolverine. And in the number four spot, we have Gambit. So Gambit has bumped Batman because in the number five spot is Angela and Batman's number six. Let's see what they have to say about Angela here. Hey, what's she so happy about? It's not like she's got her own comic or anything. Maybe she just gave McFarlane a super wedgie or something. Oh yeah, well, she did just star in her own three-issue miniseries where she went through hell, literally. And yeah, she is pretty good to look at, and she's a redhead. So I guess she's got every right to be happy, but is that enough to make her worthy of a top ten list? Well, throw in the fact that she's always sniffing up trouble for that mega-popular super dude spawn, plus the writing talents of a certain Mr. Neil Gaiman, who's always wowing those Vertigo fans with Sandman, and boom, you got yourself a fan favorite. Alright, let's see what they have to say about Batman dropping out of six, though. Now, isn't that just the saddest little pussy ever laid your eyes on? Come on, Batty, lighten up. You got a new costume now, and you've got a new movie coming out soon. Oh, that's it. You're still sore about that Val Kilmer guy replacing Keaton. Hey, don't sweat it, man. If Kilmer could play a drugged-out, over-the-edge Jim Morrison with no shirt and tight pants, then heck, he can easily portray a psychotic video 
vigilante with big ears who wears black tights and is haunted by his parents' murder. Besides, you've been a fan favorite for years. And stop milking that whole Bane Azrael incident. We're pretty much sick of your whining by now. Well, let's see who's next. We got in the number seven spot, Pit. In the number eight spot, we got Lady Death. Number nine is Superman. And the picture of him they've chosen, he looks like he is transforming into a demon of some sort and says, oh my god, someone thinks Superman is one of them Stretch Armstrong dolls. They better not start yanking at some other body parts of his or else the old man of steel will just have to learn him a lesson or two. Anyway, the big S has always been a pretty popular bloke and the recent chaos he's been through isn't hurting his popularity any and he finally find out that Brainiac was behind the whole second soups thing. How lame was that? Brainiac used a worldwide hallucination to make people think there was a body in Superman's tomb. What was he thinking? That the comic pub itself was under the same hallucination? Hoo boy. Alright, and in number 10, we have She. Now, I want to take a look, of course, at our Mort of the Month. Alright, this is a character I have never heard of. I don't even remember learning about him in this issue back in the day. The name is Nodar, which is K-N-O-D-A-R. He has like a purple jumpsuit with a big collar and it has the letter P all over it. And then he's holding some type of red shovel while wearing a domino mask and a white fedora? I don't know what's going on here. Let's see if they can explain this for us. <laughs> oh, sorry. But just look at this freak. He looks like a Riddler reject. And what's that? He's carrying a waffle iron? Anyway, this here mort comes from the 25th century on DC's Earth 2. Don't ask. Where science was so far advanced that there was absolutely no criminal activity whatsoever. Along came Nodar, who gained his criminal interest thanks to a bunch of old-fashioned gangster movies. But after he started thieving, he was captured, forced to wear the ugliest outfit this side of the universe, complete with plenty of peas, so everyone would know he's a prisoner, and put on display like some side show freak. As with all DC's characters, Nodar soon built himself a time travel device and headed back to the 20th century, where he fit in with the rest of the criminal lot. Now ain't that just the stupidest thing you ever heard? If that's what the future's got in store for us, then I'll be glad to live in the past. <laughs> oh, Nodar. Now there's another one. If he has been, you know, reclaimed somehow, uh, I would love to hear about it. And that does it for this edition of Wizard's Half. Thanks so much for joining in the extra bit of fun here that we love to bring you and uh wanted to give you a heads up on our next episode we actually have some great guests from the after lunch podcast we have michael may and returning guest rob graham man this is a super fun conversation it is an extra long episode because we just had so much to talk about so i hope that you will enjoy it and if you have enjoyed everything we brought you so far why not leave us a five-star review on apple podcasts or just let us know on social media at wizards comics on twitter at wizards underscore comics on instagram of course we will continue bringing all the 90s nostalgia that you have come to expect but until next time keep your books bagged and boarded
This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.